God bless you and welcome to our class, Ephesians chapter 3, the revealing of God's mystery. And I'm very, very, very uh, thankful just to be here with all of you. Thank you to all of you who have been viewing the class. Thank you for all of you that have been learning alongside with us. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, these classes are not easy to do. These classes are not uh, easy to make. But I just want to thank you. Thank you for, for staying with us. Thank you for, for sh please share these classes so that uh, more people can learn more about God and about uh, the book of Ephesians and uh, what about uh, Paul is, is writing here in, in this book. So we're going to answer right away, right, from where we left last week. And we're, and we're still, and we're in section B, Paul prays in light of the mystery. And we ended off. In this verse, we are on verse 17, which is being routed and grounded in his love. Paul asked that all this would take place as they were rooted and grounded in love. The meaning seems to be that they should be rooted and grounded in their love for one another. More than being rooted and grounded in their love for God and the knowledge of that love, right? Now, the most the important thing about this, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon explains it very well. Two expressions are used for rooted. Rooted like a living tree which lays upon which holds upon the soil, twists itself round the rocks. And cannot be unturned. Grounded like a building which has been settled as a whole. And will never show any cracks or flaws in the future through, fa uh, through failures in the foundation. So what Paul is trying to say here being rooted and grounded. And what Spurgeon, he has facilitated these expressions, these, these phrases, is that like a tree, you need to be well-rooted and grab hold to the rock, which is Christ. If you see a, a big sequoia tree, those sequoias, those big trees have huge, huge roots. They fight through the soil and they twist and they go through and until they grab hold of something solid. That should be us. We need to be rooted deeply in the rock. Grab hold of the rock, which is under the ground, underneath the soil. And they grab that solid foundation. We need to be grounded. The foundation has, needs to be placed in us. And what is that foundation? The Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus, Jesus himself is the foundation. And there, is, there, there, there shouldn't be no cracks or flaws in that foundation. Simple as that, right? May be able to comprehend with all the saints. Paul asked that they might be able to understand together in community every dimension of the love of Jesus. Paul wanted them to know to know it by experience and not just words. 
That is something very hard. Why? Because we all have differences. We all go through different situations. We all have different aspects of our life. We all come from different origins. We all come from different cultures. And that is something very difficult for us to do, to understand one another. But Paul is saying you must be able, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Why? Because the foundation and the root is through God's love. So the foundation and the community and the foundation and the rootness will come through the community, through understanding one another in every dimension of the love of Jesus, understanding the dimensions of the love of Jesus. Now, again with Spurgeon, we go back to Spurgeon. He says this. In this measurement, may you and I be skilled. If we know nothing of mathematics, may we be well-tutored scholars in the spiritual geometry and be able to comprehend the breadths and the lengths of Jesus' precious love. What does that mean? Again, we need to understand, comprehend, analyze, whatever. Whatever you need to know. You need to know the dimensions of, of Jesus' love. You need to get to know the love of Jesus. That's the most important thing. And here, here come the dimensions in the next verse. In the next verse, you'll see on verse 18. Here's what it says. What is the width, length, depth, and height? This means that the love of Jesus has dimensions and that it can be measured. The love of Jesus has dimensions and can be measured. Now, again with Spurgeon, and he says this, Alas, to a great many religious people, the love of Jesus is not a solid, substantial thing at all. A lot of people go through that. It's like a beautiful fiction, a sentimental belief, a formal theory, but to Paul, the Apostle Paul, it was real, substantial, measurable, a measurable fact. He had considered it this way and that way and the other way, and it was evidently real to him, whatever it might be to others. The Christians of today, they only want something fictional, something beautiful, something sentimental a theory, something that will just make them feel good. But to Paul, the love of Jesus was real. It was something that he could see, that he could feel, something substantial, something a measurable fact that he, that he can see it. It wasn't a belief. It wasn't something sentimental that was going to make you feel good. And then at, at five seconds past, it's not going to make you feel good anymore. To Paul, it was something real because he lived it. It was something that he can live in. It was a substance that he needed. That's what Spurgeon is saying here. Now we're going to enter what the width of the love of Jesus. You can see how wide a river is by noticing how much it, co it, co it covers over. God's river of love is so wide that it covers over my sin. 
and it covers over every circumstance of my life so that all things will work together for good. When I doubt his forgiveness or his providence, I am narrowing the mighty river of God's love. His love is as wide as the world, for God so loved the world. That's how wide is it. That's how the width of God's love. And if you don't get it so far, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize it later on, on the next slides. But keep that in mind. God's the love of Jesus has width. Now, let's look at what, again, we're going to see a lot of Spurgeon. So bear with me. He says this. Some of them seem to be so taken up with the height and the length that many deny the breadth or the width. And you would think from hearing them preach that Christ came into the world to save half a dozen and that they were five of them out of the narrowness. They will be more in heaven than we expect to see there by a long way. And there will be some there in whom we had a little comfortable fellowship on earth who had fellowship with Christ and who are therefore taken and dwell with him forever. The width of the love of Jesus covers the earth, covers all humanity. It's not for just selective people. It's not for one, just one race. No, it's for all humanity. Let's look at the length. The love of Jesus has length. When considering the length of God's love, ask yourself this. When did the love of God start towards me? How long will it continue? These truths measure the length of God's love. Jeremiah 33 says, Yes, I have loved you with, with an everlasting love. In other words, eternal love something that will produce, something that will last forever. That's the length of God's love. Now let, let us look at the death. The love of Jesus has death. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 tells us how deep the love of Jesus goes. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming into the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even death of the cross. You can't go lower than the death of the cross and that is how deep the love of Jesus is for us, there is nothing even more deeper than the love of Jesus in the way of His sacrifice. That's how deep His love is for you. He gave His, his own life. We looked at the width, the length, 
the depth. But now let's look at the height. The love of Jesus has height. To see the, the height of God's love, ask yourself, how high does He lift me? It lifts me to heavenly places where I am seated with Christ. He has raised me up together and made, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's how, that's the height of His love is for you. That He will make you sit alongside with Him where He is. And that's the plan. Wherever He is at, He wants you, you to be with Him. Right? So the question is, can we really comprehend the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's love? Can we? Here's the answer to that question. To come to any understanding of the dimensions of God's love, we must come to the cross. The cross, the cross pointed in four ways, essentially in every direction, because, now let us hold right there. The cross made the way, the way to the Father through Jesus Christ. But it also shows us God's, the dimensions of God's love. And remember when I told you that I was going to summarize the width, the length, the depth, and the height. And, here's, and here is the four points, the four ways that the cross points it out in every direction. And here it is. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And number four, God, God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. Those are the dimensions of God's love. Write it down. Take a screenshot out of this. Share it with someone that you may know that needs this. And tell them how high, how wide, how long, how deep, and how high God is for them. Right? And here is more. To know the love of Christ. Paul wrote, Paul wrote of something we can know. Now, this isn't a speculation or a guess or emotions or feelings. This is something we must know. It's not a hunch. It's not something that, oh, maybe it's this. No, it's no there's no ifs or maybes. It's, you need to know this. Right? Again with Spurgeon, he says this. One of these philosophers kindly said, says that religion is a matter of belief, not of knowledge. This is a clean, this is clean in opposition to all teachings of Scripture. It's a matter of belief, yes. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
Belief is very important. Faith is important. But I will twist it up a little bit. You need to know God. How are you going to know God when you don't believe in Him? You need to believe in Him. And the only way to know Him, the only way to know Him is through reading His Word. This is a matter of believing in Him. But the way to know Him? Pick up your Word. Open it. Read it. Meditate on it. And keep reading. And meditate. That's the only way to know God. That you must be filled with all the fullness of God. Now Paul asked God to fill these Christians onto all the fullness of God. Now the word onto is a better translation than the word with. Paul wanted, this is what Paul wanted, Christians to experience life in Christ Jesus, the fullness of God, which comes in Colossians 2.9. And to be filled to their capacity with Jesus. Even as God is filled to his own capacity with his own character and his own attributes. Clark says, you know, in reinforcing and supporting this, this, uh, this, this point. Among all these great sayings in prayer, this is the greatest. In this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater. But to be filled with all the fullness of God utterly bewilders the sense of and confounds the understanding. In other words, your own understanding cannot comprehend all the fullness of God. To be filled with it you, you can't understand it. But only to be filled with it, that is something amazing. And you need to pray to be filled with all the fullness of God. Even though it doesn't make sense and you're confused, it's okay. Because you know that you're being covered with all the fullness of God. And He will give you the discernment through the Holy Spirit. But with your own logic, you can never understand it. And we're going to enter to verses 20 and 21. That's the, and, and I read. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20 Starting with verse 20, as Paul comes to the great height, what can be higher than the fullness of God? It is logical to ask how this could be. How can something so far above us ever become a reality? It comes only, it can only happen because God is able to do far beyond what we ask or think. 
This doxology does not only belong to the prayer that precedes it, but also to every glorious privilege and blessing spoken of, of in the first three chapters. And we've looked at the first two and we're about to end this third chapter. So bear with me. Now, who is able to bring such things to pass? Who? Only God can do this because He can do far beyond our ability to think and to ask. He's the only one who is able. Now, Paul says that God, Paul says that God is able to do above all that we ask or think. The we included Paul and the other apostles that they certainly knew that Jesus could do great things. Now, you can ask, you can ask for every good thing you have ever experienced. God can do above that. You can ask, th you can think of or imagine things beyond your experience. God can do above that. You can imagine good things that are beyond your ability to name. God can do above that. Spurgeon says, on exceeding abundantly, he has constructed here in the Greek an expression which is altogether his own. No language was powerful enough for the Apostle. I mean for the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle. For, ve for very often, Paul had to coin words and phrases to shadow forth his meaning. And here is one. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly, so abundantly that it is exceeds measure and description. Again, it has no measurement. It exceeds everything. It goes far beyond our own understanding. Clark says, therefore he is able, God is able to do more. He is able to do super abundantly above the greatest abundance. God can do everything he wants to do and he can do it beyond your expectations and beyond your speculations. He will top it and you can never imagine what God can do. According to the power that works in us, God is able to do this in our own life now, not beginning with heaven. This power, the power of God, this power that He can do it all, works in us now. The things that Paul prayed, the things that Paul prayed for, and, and we're going to, for in, in, in the previous verses, and we're going to, all these verses, they're summarized right here. They're resumed right here. Spiritual strength, the indwelling of Jesus, uh, ex uh, experiential knowledge of God's love, and the fullness of God's love belongs to us as children of God. Spiritual strength, the indwelling of Jesus, uh, experiential knowledge or knowing God's love, and the fullness of God belong to us. However, they must be received by believing, believing prayer that can be furthered in the life of others by our own prayers for them. 
you must never stop praying for others in order for them to know spiritual strength and for God, for Jesus to be in them, for them to know the dimensions of God's love and for them to be filled of the fullness of God. To Him be the be the glory and the and in the church by Jesus Christ. The only the only fitting response to this great uh, great God to uh, to him be to him glory specifically in the church, the company of his redeemed, and that he received he received that glory throughout all ages with with a uh, world without end. Amen. When the church understands and walks in God's eternal purpose, God will be glorified and the church will fulfill its important duty of simply glorifying God. Now, get this, screenshot this, because this is very important. When the church understands and walks in the eternal purpose of God, God will be glorified and the church will fulfill the important duty of simply glorifying God. Do not overcomplicate this. We need to follow and understand God's eternal plan in order to glorify God. Plain and simple. Do not overcomplicate this. It's important for the church to fulfill the duty of simply glorifying God. And I end with this. Spurgeon says, but the apostle felt that he must not say, Unto him be the glory in my soul. He wished that, but his own soul offered far too little space. And so he cried, Unto him be the glory in the church. He calls upon all the people of God to praise the divine name. And that is exactly what we all should do. We should exalt, glorify, praise, and worship the name of God. Of the true living God. And that. Is the light, is the prayer that, that Paul was praying. From verses 14. All the way through 21. As he revealed in those verses. Alongside verses 1 and all. In all this chapter 3. He revealed the mystery of God. That was the mystery. The mystery is the salvation of our souls. Through Jesus Christ, and the unite, He wants to unite all people, all humanity in Him, so that we can all come and praise His holy name. I want to thank you at this time for joining us, for joining me in this journey of Ephesians chapter 3. Next week, we will start chapter 4, and I assure you that we're going to have a lot of fun. Are you sure that we're going to have a good time in the Lord? Please, please, please continue to pray for the leadership of this church. And also, don't forget, don't forget that along the week, we will, con we will have more updates uh, uh, of, of what we will do here in San Diego New Life. Don't forget that this Sunday at 9 o'clock, we have an in-person class now with Sister Rachel leading those classes. And don't forget that our service at 10 o'clock, in person, and if you don't live in the San Diego area, we do offer a live stream at 10 o'clock. So with that being said, I just want to thank you. May God bless you. 
And I'll see you here next week to begin Ephesians chapter 4. God bless.